This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Weeboon. As high inflation, rising rates, and a thirst for yield creates challenges for many investors seeking income from their investments, alternative income generating solutions like infrastructure are starting to gain popularity over the more traditional income solutions. But what exactly is investing in infrastructures and how can it be beneficial to your portfolio? Well, joining me to share some thoughts on this is AJ Dial, the Director and Client Portfolio Manager with ClearBitch Investments. Good morning, AJ. Thank you very much for being on the show. Let's start with the basics. What exactly is uh, investing in infrastructure and how do infrastructure assets differ from investing in more traditional assets like equities and fixed income? Yeah, so infrastructure is very much the lifeblood of society. Infrastructure companies are the things that provide you with means of transport, means of living. Think about the essential services that we have in our lives, electric, water and gas, right? Every day we use these services. Think about how we get ourselves from A to B in terms of transporting ourselves or transporting goods and services that were made through either toll roads or railroads or airports or uh, seaport systems, all of these things are needed to transport goods and services. And then you think about how we actually move data around, information around. That's about the digital infrastructure. These are all infrastructure companies that you and I need to use on a daily basis. And these are the essential lifeblood of society. So infrastructure companies, you can often buy buy in different forms. You can buy them as companies on the stock market, you can buy shares in them, or you can buy them as private assets, or you can buy them as private debt. And one of the things that we do, we focus purely on public listed equity, i.e. investing in companies that are listed on stock markets around the world. So buying the shares of high quality, highly liquid, well-known infrastructure companies that provide in the public with a service. Okay, but infrastructure encompasses uh, a range of assets, you know, uh, a range of structures, right? It can be roads to utilities to telecom. How do you categorize the different types of infrastructure assets then? Yeah, so in our mind, there's, there's kind of two areas that we look at it as. One is regulated companies, you know, companies which effectively are told by a regulator how much they can earn. And a, a lot of the electric, water and gas companies that own the transmission and distribution or on the servicing of those assets, i.e. how does water get from A to B, who owns the the water dam, who owns the reservoir, all of these assets are regulated, right? So the electric water and uh, and gas companies often have a regulation by an independent regulator in a country that states this is how much return you can earn. Now, you may say, well, if, if we get told how much they can earn, surely that's highly predictable what those companies are going to make. And that's exactly the point. We like companies with that level of predictability. We want to know what these companies can earn. And then we want to understand if they grow over time, how much more they can deliver in terms of earnings and then in terms of cash flow. The other area that we really like is called user pay infrastructure. You use it, you pay for it. Think about airports, toll roads, seaports, railway systems. Every time you use them, you pay for them. And these companies are linked to 
populations growing, economic activity getting higher. These companies benefit, their earnings benefit over time from more usage, more volumes going through. How do you then decide what's a good infrastructure asset to invest in? I mean, what are the qualities that make for a good infrastructure opportunity? Yeah, so when we look at infrastructure, we want companies to have high levels of predictability. And so where does that predictability come from? We want them to have, in many ways, uh, an earnings capability that is well-recognized and that we can forecast out into the future. And where we find those companies best are companies which do not have a lot of demand change over time. Their earnings aren't determined by demand, but they're determined by the market structure. And that comes from the perspective of how these companies get paid. So going back to that discussion around regulation, regulation often determines how these companies get paid, not just for the next one or two years, but for the next five to 10 years. Now, many of these companies are not paid, especially in the utility world, are not paid because you know, uh, the, the demand is increasing dramatically for their goods. If you think about a water company, in economic boom periods and economic recessions, we do not drink more and shower more than in economic recessions. You know, the economy doesn't really determine the amount of water usage. So it's very steady, right? The demand for these assets are very steady. Even during the period of the COVID uh, pandemic in 2020, in a country like China, the amount of electricity usage change was very minimal. To give you an example, I think there was only about a two to three percent difference in electricity usage in 2020 compared to 2019. So we want to invest in assets in companies where the demand sensitivity is quite low. That means it's not very volatile. It's steady year after year after year. And that's why regulated returns are very attractive because you can actually forecast into the future what these kind of businesses can make. Okay, but regulation also means less competition, right? Which then also might mean less innovation, right? So how does innovation then play into the qualities of these infrastructures? Yeah, I mean, you know, innovation is important, but infrastructure companies are pretty steady steady types of investment, right? If you're a water company, innovation comes from... um, How do you clean maybe the water in a more efficient fashion? How do you build sewer systems that are more efficient? How do you build dams that are more resilient to the weather changing? Now, innovation is actually constant within infrastructure companies, even though to the outsider, there probably doesn't look like there's a lot of change happening. The reason innovation is important to infrastructure companies is it gives them more resiliency. So, you know, in the the UK, for example, water companies are paid to a certain extent an incentive program to save more water. If If they can effectively plug the holes, plug the leaks, become more efficient in water supply, they will get a premium on their returns that they're allowed to charge. And again, if you think about it, if you incentivize these companies well, they will innovate. Okay, then let's talk about the risk 
involved then, right? What about like country risk and political risk? How do you calculate that into what you're investing in? So when I say public uh, infrastructure, I mean, it's publicly listed stocks. And in some cases, maybe the government still has an exposure to those companies. But in, in, in most cases, a lot of it is publicly owned by you know, private investors, public investors like ourselves. And so those companies are effectively reporting to shareholders. And so although governments, governments are extremely important as are regulators in determining policy, you know, governments are trying to think about the, the big changes that are happening in the world today. Decarbonization is a story, right? Many governments around the world have signed compacts or net zero agreements to say by 2040, 2050, 2060, we want to decarbonize our societies. We want to hit net zero objectives so that the world's temperature increase is not more than one and a half degrees more than it was during the industrial period. Given that governments have committed this, they will also be driving the policy to make it happen. So governments effectively dictate a policy and then regulators have to take that policy and translate it into something that the utility companies and the infrastructure companies can actually do. So governments and regulators actually give clear direction to how infrastructure companies should behave and give a landscape for future infrastructure investment. In many ways, governments shouldn't be holding back infrastructure companies. They should be encouraging them to build more. Another risk that would associate, I think, with infrastructure is, you know, the high maintenance costs and everything, right? How do you reconcile, you know, these business models that infrastructure has, right, when it comes to high maintenance, like roads, for example, right? It takes a lot to make sure that the roads are well-maintained, you know, how do you assess that then? Yeah, and this is a fair, you know, across the world, people looking at the costs of building infrastructure and saying, you know, are we going to make enough returns if we put these investments in. And that's one of the key things that you look at as an infrastructure manager like us. When we're looking at companies, we're looking at our future projects profitable. Is their total asset base profitable, right? And are they gonna continue to make healthy profits? One of the things that we found, uh, I mean, you talk about uh, roads, you're absolutely right. There is a cost of maintenance, but when these companies, uh, for example, toll roads are being built, they are often have 30, 40, 50 years to run that contract. And in that contract, there is a cost of maintenance that they have that they're allowed to charge effectively the end user. So whenever they're improving the roads, retarmacking, you know, improving the safety of those roads, those costs are added to the asset base of that toll road. And when it comes to actually charging the public, they can actually increase their rates to compensate for those rising costs. I've yet to come across a toll road in the world that doesn't have increasing prices. You know, sometimes twice a year, sometimes three times a year, you find that the toll roads are rising their prices because of either inflation or just general rising of costs of maintenance. And so these are good companies in many ways that can allow and facilitate those costs to be paid for by the end consumer. 
Okay, so are there any, any other risks that investors need to be aware about when they look into infrastructures? There are always risks. I mean, whenever we look at infrastructure, it's always about risk-adjusted return. If you only invest in these companies with one eye open, don't be surprised if you hit something. So it's always about having both eyes open. One eye looking at the earnings and the returns and one eye looking at the risk. Whenever we look at companies, you know, we have to think about what is the risk of changing regulation? What is the ch- risk of changing politics? What is the risk of maybe higher taxes? What is the risk of higher costs? What is the risk of maybe obsolescence, which means that the things that you have created, you might not need in five or 10 or 15 years time. So for example, let the example of, let's say, a gas pipeline, you might have um, a company in the US that has thousands of kilometers of gas pipeline taking, let's say, shale gas from the Permian Basin, where a lot of gas is created, to the coastline where it can be then put and liquefied and put onto a boat to be sent to Europe or to Asia. But what happens if in 20 years' time, nobody needs the natural gas because instead of having the gas, they would rather have a wind and solar farm? That's the risk of potential obsolescence, right? So whenever we look at companies, we're always looking at how many years can those assets run for? How long-term can it be? What is the potential that those assets may not be used? All right, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Wee Boon. Today's topic is investing in infrastructures. And joining me to discuss this is AJ Dial, the Director and Client Portfolio Manager with Clearbridge Investments. Earlier uh, in the show before the break, he was going through what exactly is infrastructure investments, how do you categorize the different types of infrastructure, and what's well, what makes a good infrastructure asset, uh, as well as some of the risks that might be involved. Um, I, I, I want to ask you now, I mean, why ultimately, why do you think an investor should think about adding infrastructure into their portfolio? right now, especially in these times? I think a key reason is stability and defense. A lot of infrastructure companies have very predictable long-term returns. So, you know, if you're, for example, an electric company that, that effectively creates the transmission and distribution of electricity, think about the high voltage uh, towers. Think about the power lines. How does electricity get from the business that produces it to the business that sells it. That has to pass through some wires, some poles, some pipes, some high voltage lines to get from A to B. And that asset, you know, those lines, those power lines are very stable, regulated businesses, right? No government in the world wants that kind of secure asset to be under-regulated. It wants to make sure that whoever owns that asset, whichever company is operating it, has to do so in in an efficient manner and has to do so earning a reasonable return because it doesn't want the lights to get switched off in the country. Now, areas like that are seeing more and more investment. And one of the things that we're finding around the world is that the demand for electricity is actually rising. Now, people might assume if they live in a a developed economy, a a well-established community, that electricity is something that they just take for granted. It's just there. But we're now finding in different parts of the world, right, that electricity can no longer be just, you know, an afterthought. 
it cannot just be assumed that it will always be there when you want it. So when you look at infrastructures, right, or in, even an infrastructure fund, right, do you focus on growth or on creating yield? I mean, what's the main draw? A, a combination of both. You know, what we want to deliver is a combination of capital growth and income. And the beauty of infrastructure companies is many of them are steady eddy, right? They're not going to achieve the, the returns of a Tencent or an Alibaba or a Microsoft or a Netflix or, or a biotechnology stock. They're not supposed to. Then, you know, many infrastructure companies are earning, you know, growing at six, seven, eight percent a year. It may not sound like a lot, right? But if you grow a company by, let's say, seven percent a year, in 10 years, you've doubled the size of the company. Many of these companies are earning, let's say, eight, nine, ten percent earnings, you know, earnings per share each year, maybe a bit more. So they don't seem like super exciting returns, but they're predictable returns. And these companies, when they earn this steady return, they have a high level of cash flow. And those high cash flows generate high levels of dividends. And we think an inflation plus five or 6% return, long-term is what's very, very achievable if you build the right type of portfolio of smart infrastructure companies. And of course, not to be left out of our conversation is uh, the rising attention on renewables, you know, and the importance it has on climate change. I mean, how do you approach the team of greener infrastructures? Where are the opportunities in this sector? I mean, the renewables theme is, you know, extremely important. The world needs to create more renewables. I mean, just to give you like one, you know, right, really stark statistic, if you think about the amount of wind farms and solar farms we have in the world today, in the next seven to eight years, we need to increase the number of wind and solar farms by nearly six times what we already have. And the reason I say seven to eight years, you know, the International Energy Agency has put out a number to say, we, this is how much energy we need to be able to take from wind and solar farms by 2030. And if you look at what we already produce, we need to scale it up by at least six times to get there. So looking at renewables is actually, you know, a key part of our overall investment, you know, fee, you know, kind of delivery that we want to give to our clients. In our portfolio today, we probably have close to 13%, you know, in renewable companies, pure renewable companies, companies which are wind farm operators, solar farm operators, or a combination of both. And so we find a number of these companies in the US, in Europe, and in Latin America, right? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, some of your listeners might be thinking is, I read an article or I heard somebody talk about that some of these renewable companies are not very profitable. Well, some of them are not, which means it's extremely important to find the very best renewable companies in the world, which are growing. And we invest in some of the largest renewable companies in the world, which are making money, and have got predictable future plans on how to deliver even more attractive earnings. Right. So profitability being the key word here to my next question. I mean, do renewable ultimately do renewables offer good returns? You know, it's important to recognize the difference between good companies and good investments. A lot of those renewable companies are good companies. They're doing the right thing, building the right infrastructure, and some of them are profitable. But the question is, are they well managed? Are they executing their business plan well? And at times they are, 
and the market recognizes that. And sometimes the, the stock markets and investors get very excited about renewables because, you know, they look like the shiny new toy. And so investors get very excited and they bid up the prices of these stocks. But sometimes when the price of these companies becomes too expensive, that's the time when you have to be a disciplined investor. When the prices of renewable companies become too expensive, more than they're worth, we are selling them, locking in the profits and investing somewhere else. So good companies don't always make great investments, but it's a but having a good company is a great starting point. And if they get too expensive, we want to make sure that we capitalize, lock in the profits and recycle that somewhere else where we best think we're going to get a better bang for our buck. So looking ahead, what infrastructures are you looking at? So a whole range. Right now, you know, the world's becoming, I think the world's going through a period of kind of economic slowdown. We're starting to see with inflation slightly higher and getting higher. So, you know, when I say, you know, it's in the US yesterday or in, in this last you know week or so, we've seen inflation rates in Europe and the US get close to eight to nine percent. We already know that in emerging countries, inflation rates have been at that level, if not higher. The world is suffering under the pressures of inflation, which is coming from higher food prices, higher fuel prices, higher fertilizer prices. All of these things are transmitting into higher costs. And as we see that, we see that central banks in the world are starting to respond. They're starting to decelerate economies by effectively increasing interest rates. The amount of borrowing is going to be moderated. You know, corporates, citizens, you know, are going to reduce the amount of borrowing because the cost of debt is going up. That's going to slow down the growth of economies to a certain extent. So as we see looking into the, you know, the near future of 2022 and 2023, we expect a slowdown in economic activity. You know, we're at that point where it's a balance between a global slowdown and a global recession. And for that reason, we're buying into more defensive infrastructure companies. Think about the defensive companies, which are the utility companies, the electric, water and gas companies I mentioned to you right at the beginning, the companies which are very predictable in their earnings, their demand doesn't go up and down very much in different economic environments. These are the kind of companies which are safe, stable, long-term assets. Their prices will come, you know, prices are often determined by the stock market, but the stock markets and investors value predictability. And they value where growth is credible, right? One of the reasons why technology stocks have come down a lot this year is because people are not entirely sure how quickly those companies are truly going to grow in the future. But the beauty of some of these infrastructure companies is you do have very clear perception of how they're going to grow. They're, they're growing because of the tailwinds of decarbonization. They're growing because of the tailwinds of digitalization. The fact that we all want to use our smartphones more and therefore we need more data. These are the reasons why certain infrastructure stories have more stability, more predictability. And that's why we want to make sure that our portfolio is more balanced in that direction. All right, and that's all the time we have for today's Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to AJ Dial, Director and Client Portfolio Manager with Clearbridge Investments. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10am News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Boon from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9.
Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.